Well, please join me now in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're in our new series of messages through the parables of Jesus from Luke's gospel. And last time together, we saw where Jesus said that he came to put new wine in new wineskins. And he was making the point that he was coming to do something brand new. He wasn't coming just to add a little something to the old covenant. He certainly wasn't coming to just add something or fit within the traditions of the Pharisees. He came to bring something new, something better, something grander, something more powerful, something transforming. Jesus ushered in, in himself, the new covenant in his blood. And then you and I took to heart some application from that, that we want to be people who understand that as new covenant people, Jesus isn't merely giving us a patch for our lives, but a whole new garment. And we want to have our hearts as we contain the living God. We want to be flexible, pliable to him that he could do whatever he wants through us. But now we come to the second parable recorded in Luke's gospel, the parable of the two debtors. And as we take this on, I want to ask you a question at the very beginning. How much do you love Jesus? On a scale from one to 10, maybe, how much do you love Jesus? One being that, hey, I sometimes think about him, to 10 being, I love Jesus with my whole heart. Where would you place yourself? And this is just between you and the Lord. Nobody knows you except for you and the Lord. Another way of getting at this is this. Is there anything or anyone that registers higher on that scale than Jesus. Maybe you say, I think about Jesus a little bit, but I love my car. I am so excited about my car. Or maybe at Christmas, you got an adorable puppy and you're like, I just love that puppy. Jesus, yeah, I think about some, but I love my puppy. Or maybe you're a grandparent and you say, oh, my grandchildren are my life. Or maybe it's your investment portfolio. I just love seeing that number climb or perhaps it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Well, today, if you see that you are deficient in your love for Jesus, he's going to show you why that is in this parable. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will take this text and work in your heart to rekindle a red hot passion and devotion to Jesus. Now, remember, the key to understanding any parable is this. It's the gospel itself that we see these parables through the lens of the gospel. But the second key to understanding these parables is to understand the context or the setting into which Jesus speaks these parables. And so here today in Luke 7, we find that Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee. Look at verse 36. This is Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Last time in Luke 5, we had Jesus at the home of Matthew, a new believer, and there was a great celebration, and Jesus was there and spoke the previous parable there. But today we find ourselves in the home of a Pharisee. This Pharisee's name was Simon. This was a religious leader, and he's hosting Jesus, but as we're going to see, not because of any warmth he had toward Jesus. Maybe it was just the novelty, just the curiosity of having Jesus in his home. Maybe it was like so often was the case an attempt to try to find fault with Jesus. So he's in the home of a Pharisee and enters a woman with a very bad reputation. So a woman with a bad reputation comes in and she comes up to Jesus. Now, unfortunately, this woman deserved her bad reputation. Jesus is gonna acknowledge, here's a woman who had many sins. The implication here is this was an immoral woman and known for her immorality. Let's look together now, verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city 
who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So the question comes, what was she doing there? Why would a woman with a bad reputation want to be in the home of a Pharisee? We know that she would not have been wanted or even welcomed there. She certainly was not on the original guest list for that evening. But here she is, and she wanted to be there. She heard that Jesus was going to be there, and so she got herself there. Perhaps when she got there to this house, she asked permission to come in because she had to see Jesus. Or maybe it was with the door open and all the bustle of people hosting, she just pushed her way in so that she could be with Jesus. But we find her here now crying tears. Scripture says she was weeping there at the feet of Jesus, sobbing. And Luke describes it so vividly, we feel like we're there. She's crying. She breaks open this expensive bottle of perfume that perhaps she was wearing around her neck. She then pours it on his feet. So simultaneously her tears and this perfume on his feet. She's drying his feet with her hair. Can you picture it? And she's kissing his feet. What a humbling thing to do. Says a lot about how she saw herself in relationship to Jesus. She saw herself as low and she is worshiping and adoring him. By the way, something similar happened at the end of Jesus's ministry where a woman poured expensive perfume on his head on that occasion. Jesus said, anointing his body for the burial in advance. This is a different woman on a different occasion, years separating these two events, but it is quite dramatic. So here's the setting here. And the, the Pharisee here watches this happen, this woman with a bad reputation doing all this at the feet of Jesus. And we read what we see next or see what we see here in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So the Pharisee is saying, he's clearly no prophet. He would know what kind of woman this is. Why would he let her anywhere near him? But note this, Jesus knew all of that. And Jesus knew what the Pharisee was thinking. Jesus responds with a parable in response to what this man was thinking in his own head. So here's a question. Can God read your mind? Oh, he can. He can definitely read your mind. Your mind, your thoughts are on display to the Lord who knows all things. Psalm 94, 11, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. Psalm 139 verses one and two. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. But what a contrast between these two, this Pharisee and this woman. This Pharisee could not rejoice that this woman who had lived a very sinful life, he couldn't rejoice that she now is clearly repenting and she's so beautifully seeking after God. The Pharisee expressed a cold, indifferent reaction toward Jesus. He was critical of Jesus. At most, Jesus merely a guest, a novelty, an adversary. But this woman, she was pouring out tears at the feet of Jesus. She did not want to leave his feet. She's kissing his feet in love and gratitude. And it's in this setting that Jesus now tells this parable. See it with me now, verse 40 and following. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. 
And he answered and said, say it, teacher. And here's the parable, verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So let's understand together this short parable. A professional moneylender had two debtors that owed him money. One owed a 500 denarii debt that he could not pay. So a denarius was a Roman coin. It was the equivalent of one day's wage. And so here's a man who owed really 500 denarii. That'd be like a year and a half of his salary. Can you imagine being in debt like that? Then there's another one who's in debt, but only owed 50 denarii. That would be the equivalent of about a month and a half of a salary, still a, a very large debt. The point is both debts could not be repaid by these men and the debt was huge. And the, the loan officer forgave the debt. And then Jesus tells us the point and the application here. Verse 42 again. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly than this. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus here explains the parable for us. If you understand how much you've been forgiven, then you will love much. If you feel that you've only been forgiven a little bit, then you'll only love a little bit. So here is the point of the parable. The level of your awareness of your forgiven sin will show up in your passion that you have for Jesus. So the level of your awareness of your forgiven sins will, will show up in how much passion you have for Jesus. So three lessons for us here as we consider this parable. First of all, there's a lesson in humility. There's a lesson in humility. Jesus calls you to see your true condition. If you're in Christ, that means you've been forgiven a massive sin debt. If you've yet to repent and believe in Christ, you still carry a massive sin debt in your life. So bear with me a moment as I want to help us understand in part the magnitude of our sin. So let's just consider together how many sins you've likely committed in your life. And just for the sake of consideration, let's say that you've sinned only one time a day. I think it's far more than that. But if you only sinned one time a day in one year's time, that would be 365 sins against a holy God. This would be a word of gossip, a moment of lust, an hour of jealousy or greed a day without spending time with Jesus in the word and prayer, a day with no evangelistic intentionality, skipping worship for no good reason, 
It's to be telling lies, getting drunk, stealing, stealing from God and not offering or helping the poor. But if you only send one time per day, that'd be 365 sins per year. Let's just play with a 15-year-old a second doing the simple math. If a person's 15 years old, how many sins just in that relatively short life? Let's give the 15-year-old some, some mercy with year one and two. I think a person can sin that early because we have a sin nature. We begin to express that pretty early. But just for the sake of our simple math here, let's just, let's just go from age two through 15. If a person only sinned one time a day, that's 4,745 sins against God. You and I have an enormous sin problem before God. Imagine a criminal with a rap sheet like that with 4,745 crimes on it. But I contend with you that we've sinned far more than merely once per day. Think about this. In one conversation, a person who doesn't know Jesus, they can come forward with lots of sins just in one outburst. Imagine the profanity. Listen, I've been in the store before and hear somebody cussing. And you think, I think they put 50 cuss words in one sentence. I don't even understand the grammar of all that. In fact, I used to cuss like that myself before Jesus saved me many years ago. But in one conversation, you could rack up 50 cents against God with the slander, with the anger, with the hatred, all the error expressed there. So we're just about a 15-year-old. How much sin could they have? It would be in the tens of thousands of sins they've sinned against God. It's a massive problem. But then consider a 25-year-old, a 35-year-old. What about somebody who's 75, lived their life without Christ? That would be, if it's just one sin a day, 26,645 sins. The whole point is it's more than that. A person in deep into life, hundreds of thousands of sins against Almighty God. I just want you to see how serious this is. And if you've yet to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, you are in grave danger before God and the judgment that you deserve. If you've sinned much and you have not yet received Jesus, you should be like this woman weeping right now, coming to the one who can and would forgive you. But here we have this Pharisee and this woman. Both of them are lost, though the woman's sins are far more obvious and well-known. But both of them lost. The Pharisee's also lost. He's lost in his pride and his self-confidence. His pride and his self-righteousness are gross sins. So see here a lesson in humility. You and I should see our hearts that we are sinners who can trust in Jesus and we can be forgiven and we could love much if we would experience the grace of God. So a lesson in humility. How about this? Also a lesson in devotion and worship. Arising from profound humility and experiencing his grace, this woman loved Jesus much. And catch this, it showed. This is how you and I are to worship. Arising from humble, broken, now forgiven hearts. We are to walk with Jesus like this woman. We are to worship and adore him like this woman. We're not to be what I call whatever Christians. And you've met these people who would claim that they're Christians. And you say, are you a Christian? And it's as if they're saying, yeah, whatever. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Are you a Christian? I guess so. Are you a Christian? Pretty much. But listen, something's off if you say you're a Christian and you don't have affection for Jesus. And we get a glimpse of that in this woman here. When you've experienced profound forgiveness from Jesus... You are changed and you are overjoyed by that. You want to then lavish worship on this one who has forgiven you so much. Now, you can't use the fact that you have problems as an excuse for not wanting to worship. 
Like I, I would worship, but I've got too many problems. Listen, this woman had problems. It's just that Jesus solved her greatest problem, her sin debt. Now she has to go in to rejoicing. So is it possible to worship Jesus when you have financial trouble? Absolutely, it's possible. And you must worship him even in financial trouble. Is it possible to worship Jesus when you have health problems? Absolutely, and you must worship him even in your health problems. Now, we're not talking about a shallow giddiness here. We're not talking about putting a fake smile on our faces and faking cheerfulness. But what we're talking about here is a profound joy in knowing Jesus and knowing that you're his forever. It's wonderful. It's one of the reasons I love worshiping here at Staples Mill the best. I love it when our praise team's up here leading in worship. I love it when our choir is leading us in worship. And I know these folks and I know some of their story and, and knowing these are people who've gone through real pain in their lives like everybody else. But here they are leading in worship. They're not looking at something in the past that's keeping them from experiencing the joy of the Lord. Real hurts, real pains like all of us and yet leading us in worship, that blesses me. So whether you initially feel like worshiping or not, Jesus is still worthy of worship. He's still worthy of devotion and we give him what he is due. So if you've met Jesus and you've experienced his forgiveness, it's going to show in your devotion to him. R.C. Sproul said it well. He said, the more we understand how great our own forgiveness has been, the more spontaneous our love for Christ should be. One more word on this as we just talk about a lesson in our devotion and worship, this really is not an introvert extrovert issue. I'm among the introverts in the church, you know that. And so I'm not seeking in my worship publicly to be extremely demonstrative with my body. That, that kind of distracts me and I'd be worried about who's noticing me and all that. But I can assure you, I am worshiping in my heart. I often close my eyes. I have a fire for Christ. I'm so grateful for him. I love what others can do. But this is not a matter about how high your hands are. I'm asking the question, do you have something registering in your heart toward Jesus? And so if you've met him, if your sins have been forgiven, you have profound love and delight in him. So, so which are you as you consider this? The, the Pharisee or are you the woman here? The woman had not gotten past what Jesus had just done for her. If you understand you've been forgiven much, Jesus said you will love much. We don't want to act like those who think I've just been forgiven a little. And so I just have a little something for Jesus. Another thing here, look at this Pharisee. Jesus calls him out for his complete lack of customary hospitality. This Pharisee had been very rude. There was a great omission here in his hospitality. Look at with me now, verse 44. Then turning toward the woman... He said to Simon, the Pharisee, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Here's Jesus affirming this woman and he's calling out the Pharisee here for his smug indifference. The woman broken, grieving over her many sins had repented and warmly embraced Jesus. And I love this, Jesus accepted her. Jesus forgave her many sins. And here's the good news. Now there's a lesson for us too in salvation. A lesson about humility, a lesson about devotion and worship, and now a lesson in salvation. See it with me. Faith in Jesus 
saves. Faith in Jesus saves. This is what Jesus said. Look at verse 50 again. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So understand, self-righteousness cannot save you. Comparing yourself to other people that you consider worse than you, that cannot save you. And this is what many people do, though. They consider themselves good, excusing their sin, mainly by looking around. They go, well, I'm better than those people. I'm no person like that. But also understand this, your works cannot save you. So maybe you say, I'm trying to be nice, and surely God will take me to heaven. I'll be right with God if I just try to be nice. But that wouldn't work. That can't cancel out all of your sin. Imagine with me a judge. How impressed would a judge be if a cereal shoplifter came before him? Now, I don't mean a shoplifter who stole cereal. I mean a shoplifter known for shoplifting many times, dozens of times caught shoplifting. If that person in court were to say to the judge, hey, judge, I'm really trying to clean up my language in these days. And, and I'm actually now stopping littering. And I'm even cutting back dramatically on how much I'm shoplifting. How impressed would the judge be? None of that good behavior would have any bearing on all the guilt for the previous kind, crimes for which that person had been caught. That would not get rid of the guilt. But what if a store owner, the one who had been wronged so much by this person, decided I'm going to pay the debt to my company for this person? Well, I don't know if in our legal system, the judge would let the person go for that. But I do know this, in God's legal system, that's what God has done for us. You and I have sinned against God, as we've said, thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. And here's God saying, I'm going to pay the debt for them. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life that we certainly did not. Jesus went to the cross and took your sins, your thousands of sins upon himself and the sins of the whole world. And he took the punishment that our sins deserve. Jesus gave his righteous, holy blood in payment for our sins to atone for them. Then he was raised from the dead. And isn't that wonderful? That's God accepting the payment for us. That's what he did. And whoever then believes in Jesus can have their sins forgiven and have everlasting life. It's what the scripture teaches throughout. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or famously, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So again, who are you in this encounter? Are you Simon the Pharisee or are you this woman? Here's this indifferent Pharisee he left this encounter with Jesus. Think of it, Jesus the Savior in his very home. And Simon the Pharisee left that encounter still lost, still dead in his sins. But here's this broken woman and all her sin. She came to Jesus and she left that house saved. The one with a reputation for religion and morality still lost. But the one who had a reputation for sin and immorality through faith in Jesus now saved. And so the good news is Jesus can forgive you in the same way if you come in the same way as this woman. God can do this for you. Faith in Jesus can save you. Hear again the words of Jesus to this humble, broken woman of faith. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then verse 50 again, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So today put your faith 
in Jesus. In fact, right now, would you ask Jesus to save you from your sins? Would you admit it? Lord, I've sinned against you thousands of times, and I feel horrible about my sinning against you, and I know that you can forgive me. I see what you did for this woman. I know you can do this for me. Jesus, I know you died for me on the cross. I believe that you were raised from the dead, and I'm trusting in you. Please save me like you did for this woman. And then one final word is this. Don't let anyone keep you from Jesus. Notice this woman, she would not be deterred. She had to be with Jesus and she didn't care what anybody thought about it. She came to Jesus and poured out her life and received his forgiveness. So do the self-righteous make you feel unwelcome? Come to Jesus anyway. Do the hypocrites turn you off? Come to Jesus anyway. And do you beat yourself up for your many, many sins and all the shame? Come to Jesus anyway. In fact, think about it with me. Why did that woman come into the home of a Pharisee and, and become a Christian that day? Why did she do that? That's because God was drawing her. That's where that idea came into her mind that she would come to Jesus. That's, that's God, the Holy Spirit, drawing her there that God could forgive her. Don't you see with me? God loves to forgive sinners. God loves to forgive people who humbly come to him and seek forgiveness. Let that be you today. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Ask him to save you.